Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wiser Financial Advisor Show with Josh Nelson, where we get real, we get honest, and we get clear about the financial world and your money. This is Josh Nelson, founder and CEO of Keystone Financial Services. Let the financial fun begin. Recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with Northern Colorado's own Mike Barron, who is a prolific author writing over a thousand comic books throughout his career, as well as numerous novels. Mike is the creator of Nexus and Badger, two of the longest lasting independent superhero comics. He has also won two Eisners and an Inkpot Award and written The Punisher, Flash, Dead Man, and Star Wars, among many other titles. Barron has also published 15 novels and is working on several more right now. He is an entertaining guest. I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. Mike has also written for the Boston Phoenix, the Boston Globe, Cream, Fusion, We, and Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Mike lives in Northern Colorado with his wife and three dogs. He is a great guy. I think you're going to enjoy our conversation, and you'll find it highly entertaining. Thank you. Have a great week, and God bless. All right. Welcome to the Wiser Financial Advisor, Mike Barron. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. All right. Yeah, I actually I'm good friends with your wife. I've known her for a number of years uh, in northern Colorado. So I'm so glad to get the introduction from her. Uh, She's a great lady and uh, and a great friend and and business partner as well. Uh, But on on your end, though, she's been talking to me for a while, though, about um, about you. And the more I got to uh, learn your background, it's, uh, you know, I didn't have direct exposure to the name Mike Barron, but as I grew up, uh, my brother and I were big fans of Star Wars and Marvel and Dark Horse Comics, Batman, you know, all these things, right, uh, back into the 80s, 90s, and uh, you were in that world, right? So it's actually a real honor to be here because you've lived and actually uh, created parts of that world, right? So That's true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I'm always curious, you know, we all, we all uh, get these questions, right, from people as far as how did you get to the point you're doing what you're doing, right? Whether we're a business owner or a writer or the president, you know, everybody followed some kind of a path, right? So just curious, how did you get started? Where did you get started uh, writing and how did that evolve? I always wanted to be a writer. Uh, it started in Mitchell, South Dakota, where I grew up. I bought a novel. It was a John D. McDonald novel. The Deep Blue Goodbye, 35 cents, brand new. And I stepped out of the cigar store where I bought it, and I stood on the sidewalk looking at this book. And I just had this revelation. Well, this guy's not doing this as a hobby. He's doing this for a living. That's what I want to do. I started writing in in high school for the high school paper. I always had uh, uh, confidence that I could spin words together in an entertaining manner. Uh, But it took me a long time to learn how to write novels, which is what I originally sent out to do. Uh, And my first job out of college was smoking marijuana for the government. I moved to Boston because they had so many weekly newspapers that they were willing to hire young writers. And I heard about that. And I answered an ad in the back of the Boston Phoenix for volunteers to live on a hospital ward in Mattapan for a month, smoke government dope and take a battery of tests, which I did. It was just like college. And when I got out, I wrote that up and submitted it to the Boston Phoenix and they accepted it. And soon after that, they hired me as an editor and that's how I started writing. I lived in Boston for seven years. I wrote for the Phoenix, the Real Paper, uh, the Globe, uh, Fusion Cream and We Magazine. And in 77, I moved back to Madison, Wisconsin. 
Uh, I was working at an insurance company when I got a phone call one day from a friend of mine who was a newspaper editor. And he said, there's a guy down here trying to sell us his art. Uh, and I think you should take a look at it. Uh, and his name was Steve Rude. And uh, I uh, arranged to meet him on the steps of the student union. And he opened up his portfolio and I was blown away. And I've been trying to draw for years. And we'll get into that later. But I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to do comics, but I can't write. What do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do comics, but I can't draw. <laughs> well, we were lucky. We we're in the right place at the right time because Capital City Distribution, the world's second largest comic book distributor at the time, it was a huge multi-million dollar company, wanted to start their own comic line. Uh, so I went home and I brainstormed Nexus, which is our signature character. He's a, a reluctant executioner of mass murderers 500 years in the future. Uh, and a whole bunch of stuff went into it. I'd been familiar with superhero comics, reading them all my life. Uh, and I wanted him to be dramatic. So every time he showed up, somebody died. But I wanted him to be sympathetic. So I made him a reluctant executioner of mass murderers. Uh, and I wrote those first 12 pages by drawing them out by hand. I'm not a great artist, but I'm good enough that my ideas are clear. and People can see them at a glance. Uh, and that's how I wrote comics for 20 years. And editors and artists all loved it because they could see at a glance what I was doing. They could see what I wanted on the page. Uh, and it taught me so many things. For instance, how much weight a page can carry. And by that, I mean... How many pictures? How many words? What's comfortable? It taught me about creating the rhythm of the story, the way that, that scenes will open up if they're big and they'll contract if they're small and intimate. But most importantly, it taught me to think about what happens next, because that's the essential question in all fiction. And the reader has to care before he turns the page. And I would write by drawing a panel out, and I was happy with what they were doing there. And then I thought, well, what happens next? And because I taught myself to write comics in that method, I learned to be concise. Uh, and my material, uh, there are no wasted pictures, there are no wasted words. And I think that helped me a great deal in my career because soon after Nexus and Badger appeared, uh, Marvel and DC started calling and Marvel asked me to write The Punisher, which I did for five years. And DC asked me to write Flash uh, Dead Man. I've written some Batman and uh, many other characters, but I always wanted to write novels. It just took me a real long time to learn how to write novels because that's I'm a, I'm a slow learner. Uh, but about 15 years ago, everything came together and I realized I had it. So I started writing novels and I was lucky enough to join up with uh, the fastest growing publisher in the United States, which is uh, Wolfpack Publishing located in Las Vegas. Uh, they specialize mostly in men's adventure novels. And I had a number of novelist friends who said, yeah, you got to get this guy. So uh, they accepted me. Uh, and my first series for them was Biker. Uh, it's hard-boiled crime. It's modern noir. It's about a reformed motorcycle hoodlum who goes to prison and finds God and gets out and wants to turn his life around. But the stories are very gritty and they're sometimes grim. Uh, but the reception has been great. Uh, and I uh, recently published the ninth biker novel, and I'm working on the 10th now. Uh, but during that time, every time I went online, I saw another Florida man story. I would say, I don't choose my stories. My stories choose me. And after a while, I said, well, I got to write a novel about this guy. Uh, 
so I wrote that novel and I didn't think Wolfpack would go for it because they like Westerns and gritty detective novels and stuff and spy novels. And I sent it to him. I said, yeah. <laughs> so they published Florida Man and it's by far my most successful novel. And now there are two sequels out uh, and I'm planning the, the fourth Florida Man, Man novel as soon as I get a chance. Uh, and as I mentioned before, last year, we uh, crowdfunded the Florida Man graphic novel. And that was a big success. And incidentally, it's been broken down into three regular comics, which are hitting comic book stores in July. So if you're interested in the Florida Man comic, uh, call your comic shop now, because they're, they're cutting off orders at the end of next week. Uh, and one thing I guarantee you is you will break out laughing. You will break out laughing out loud when you read this comic. They talk about comic books, but this comic book is really funny. <laughs> That's great. And so when you say that you're completely self-taught, in other words, no formal training, you just were passionate about your ideas. I was always writing every day. I did have a little training in college. I took a course uh, with Jerry McNeely, who was the head writer for Marcus Welby, MD. And Jerry was a very good teacher. He said, you make them cry a little bit. You make them laugh a little bit. You scare the hell out of them. And that's entertainment. <laughs> that's true. Absolutely. And when you when you think about your writing, are you, do you write every day? What's your case? Yes, you do. I do write every day. Uh, in the morning, I do the serious lifting uh, if I'm working on a novel. Uh, and right now, I mentioned I'm co-authoring a novel with Diggs Brown, and I'm editing it now. It's it's huge. Diggs did the basic, uh, uh, the first manuscript, and it's 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 like 140,000 words, which is bigger than anything I've ever written. Although my novel Banshees is over 100,000 words. Uh, and I'm also working on a coming of age novel that was commissioned from me by a man who heads a group called Sea Wolves, uh, which takes boys from broken families and teaches them how to be men by sailing, teaches them how to sail. And along the way, it gives them the moral instruction they need to become confident, worthwhile people. Where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> I subscribe to an idea service. It's very expensive, but it's worth it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Ideas come from anywhere. And that's why I always carry a notepad and a pen with me wherever I go. And I tell that to every writer, carry a notepad and pen because you never know when inspiration will strike. Uh, and, you know, and, and somebody said, oh, I had a great idea, but I forgot it. That's why you carry the notepad and the pen. But inspiration can, can come from anywhere. Uh, often it's, you want to write a certain type of story. I wanted to write a horror story. I wanted to write a really gripping and original horror story, but I didn't want to go over anybody else's ground. I wanted something fresh, something new. So I waited until the idea came to me. And, and I've written a number of them. But the first one, Banshees, is about a satanic rock band that comes back from the dead. And it was inspired uh, by heavy metal bands themselves, like... Uh, ACDC and Motorhead and, uh, and, and bands like that. Uh, and I just started thinking about it. And it, it comes together. I start making notes in the notepad. Uh, anything from the ideas and plot developments to names, because names are very important. And when I think about it long enough, I see the uh, kernel of the novel take shape. It's, it kind of reaches a critical mass. And when that happens, I write an outline. The outline uh, can be, it's not hugely detailed, but it's more than a paragraph. Sometimes they run to 10 pages. Uh, and when that's done, then I'll start writing the novel. And, and uh, it invariably veers away from the outline at some point, every book. And the reason is that uh, uh, you create a character, and if you do a good job, 
at some point the character turns around and tells you what he's going to do next. You can't just impose whimsically things on him. They have to grow naturally out of his character. And also, uh, I believe that every writer has to surprise himself before he surprises others. So I urge writers to, to be open to surprise, uh, to, to be receptive when an idea comes in from left field. If you're experienced enough, you can test it a little bit, decide whether it works or not. Uh, but I welcome those. I love those surprises that strike me when I'm writing uh, because uh, of often an idea that you get in the first part of the novel, a character or a development, and you don't know why it's there. But when you get to toward the end of the novel, you realize that it's the key to everything. Uh, because the perfect ending should come as both a complete surprise and in retrospect, inevitable. It's interesting. So you, the connections are not, in other words, you, you, have you ever written anything that you've started out and had it perfectly mapped out and outlined and that's how it played out? Or is it always a surprise? Uh, it always changes, not drastically. Uh, there are certain rules for drama. Uh, a drama is like a good pop song with, with a, a tonic and uh, uh, a bridge and a hook. And by that, I mean, it has dynamics. And by dynamics, I mean, the hero was up, the hero was down, the hero was up, because if he were in the same place the whole time, unless you're Virginia Woolf, it's really not gonna be a novel. Uh, the type of novels that I write, uh, my primary goal is to entertain. In fact, that's rule number one, is never forget to entertain. Uh, number two is show, don't tell, which is crucial for whether you're writing a novel or a comic or a movie, it's just crucial. And the third is to be original. Well, people worry about that, but they shouldn't because we're all unique human beings. And when we start writing, uh, we inevitably bring our worldview into the novel. You just have to be careful that you adhere to rule number one, which is to keep it entertaining. As, and I mentioned John D. McDonald and I'll never, I've written, I've read all his Travis McGee novels in fact, my biker character, Josh Pratt, is in a way an homage to those, as are many other characters in, in modern fiction today, because he had a huge influence. Would you say that when it comes to a, a new person, I think a lot of people think about writing, I've thought about writing, right, about writing a book and uh, written articles, things like that, more financial, but I think a lot of us are scared, right? We're just not sure where to start. So what advice would you have to somebody that they got an idea or maybe they even just have a passion that I, I really think that I'd like to write here. What would you suggest for them as far as a starting point? Get a notepad, get a pen, start making notes, just like I do. Uh, and keep in mind, and I feel this is true for most professional writers, that we all have a million words of garbage clogging up our system. And we have to get that out before we get to the good stuff. Because nothing improves your writing like experience and practice. Uh, so I encourage people to write every day. And I've been writing every day all my life. Uh, and because of that, uh, I feel that I have a, a real clear view of what constitutes good writing. And I like uh, uh, direct writing, simple writing, uh, but there's so much more to it. There are so many ways to hook a reader's interest. You, and uh, I always, for what works for me is that I write chapters that are between 1,000 and 1,500 words for the type of book I'm writing, that works for me. Now, there, there are people who write huge chapters, uh, but I also keep in mind uh, rhythm and dynamics. 
and, and not just what's happening in the story, but what's happening when you look at a page. Because if you look at a page that's a solid block of text with no indentations, it's looking, it's like looking at a Soviet housing project in the 60s. You don't want to live there. <laughs> and that's why uh, it's important to write dialogue, because every time somebody speaks, every time a different person speaks, uh, you indent, and it makes the page more attractive. Uh, but there are so many, so many rules. Our rules were made to be broken, but one rule is that whoever wants something the most owns that point of view. And point of view is very important. Uh, I always write in the third person. He went to the store. He bought a carton of milk. Uh, the second person, you went to the store. You bought a carton of milk. That's for losers. Don't do it. <laughs> and the first person is, I went to the store. I bought a carton of milk. And that can work very well. And I've used it from time to time. But uh, the thing to keep in mind about first person is you're filtering every impression and everything the reader uh, learns through the sensibility of that one character. Uh, but you can always switch points of view when you move to another chapter. Then there's something called the omniscient point of view, uh, where you jump from viewpoint to viewpoint in the same chapter. And this works best on huge galaxy-spanning science fiction novels like, like uh, my friend Kevin J. Anderson writes. He writes the Dune novels. Mm -hmm. uh, and Kevin writes by dictating it into a recording device while he's hiking through the mountains. I don't know anybody else who does wow. that, uh, but it does affect his point of view. It naturally tends towards a, an omniscient point of view, whereas me pecking away at the keyboard uh, uh, tends toward a more intimate, personal point of view, which is what I prefer because I'm, I'm writing thrillers and horror novels. And comedies, I guess I'm all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, would you say that you were an avid reader before you started writing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm reading, I got, you know, I'm reading four books right now. So really, again, going back to getting started writing, and probably the reason why I or anybody else doesn't start is because we're afraid of all the crap, right? Because their, their reality is, is that a lot of what you would start writing would just be crap, right? It wouldn't be worth a whole lot. But basically, you've got to get that out first, right, before you're going to ever get to good stuff. Well, if you're writing fiction. I mean, it's a different thing if you're writing an essay because an essay has its own rules and, and they're based on objective reality to a certain extent uh, because news writing is not fiction writing. Mm -hmm. When you're writing a news story, it, it's who, what, where, when, and why. Uh, but when you're writing a work of fiction, you have to give the reader somebody to root for. You have to create a sympathetic character. What would be, would you say, one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Well, uh, certainly John D. MacDonald, uh, the whole Travis McGee series, starting with uh, uh, The Deep Blue Goodbye. Uh, uh, Philip Jose Farmer is a science fiction writer that lived in Terry Ho, Indiana. His World of Tears series opened my mind uh, to possibilities of the imagination. Uh, many of the great science fiction writers have affected me. Uh, Robert Heinlein, Isaac Asimov, Clifford Simic. Among uh, modern writers, I have read some Michael Chabon. He wrote The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which was about the birth of comics. And he's somebody to look at because his narrative voice is unique. If you want to learn new words, read Michael Chabon. Another guy that I would recommend is at the complete opposite end of the spectrum is James Elroy. He wrote LA Confidential, mm. which was a great movie. 
What are some bad recommendations that you hear in your profession? In other words, what are the bad pieces of advice that you would tell them to avoid? Uh, first of all, there's only one essential book on writing. It's Elements of Style by Strunk and White. Uh, as for, for bad writing, I would tell them to be sure not to write down cliches that just happen to pass into their head. It's so easy to write, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. I can't tell you how often I have seen that. Uh, so you hear it a lot. You got to keep your dialogue fresh. And that's why you got to keep your ears open. And you got to carry that notepad and pen with you wherever you go, because you're never going to know. You never know when you're going to hear a freshly turned phrase that you've never heard before. Uh, that it might be regional, it might be colloquial, but if it's fresh to you, it's going to be fresh to your readers. So keep your ears open and your pad open, and beware of those cliches. If you ever find yourself writing that, or we have to talk, or move at people, and I could cite a dozen others stop right there, push yourself away from the keypad and, and rethink it. Uh, and another uh, piece of advice I'd say is, is uh, if, if you run into a, a roadblock and you don't know what's going to happen, stop writing, retreat to your room, go outside with your pen and pad, and just starting out writing down uh, what could happen, no matter how crazy or insane, that, and sooner or later the path forward will be revealed to you. So writer's block, uh, I'm sure you've gotten it before, right? Um, so it, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, or maybe you've lost your focus temporarily? What do you do? What do you do to get yourself back on track? And what questions do you ask yourself? Well, uh, you know, I don't get writer's block and most of the professional writers I know don't get it either. And one of the reasons is that we've trained ourselves to see story. And that means we know what constitutes story. And that means you can write stuff that sounds like it's completely out of left field if it is part of the story but too many young writers get off on a tangent and they're in love with their own writing and they'll write a, a paragraph or a page or a chapter that gives them great delight but does not advance the story and you have to learn to cut that out and and the the, the sooner you you understand what constitutes story and story is many many things but as soon as, as you get a, an understanding of that, the mastery of it, you won't make a wrong step. Uh, I very rarely make wrong steps. And by that, I mean, occasionally I'll write 500 or 1,000 words and I'll look at it and say, no, I'm off on the wrong track and I'll remove it. But that doesn't happen very often these days. Starting now, you mean you've written over a thousand comics, and more recently, you've gotten interested in graphic novels. And so let's talk about your recent stuff. Thin Blue Line was inspired by what I saw in the summer of 2020. If you don't have the rule of law, you don't have civilization. And that's what inspired Thin Blue Line. But as I stressed before, my number one rule is to entertain. There's nothing didactic or preachy about the book. It's going to grab you by the throat because you're going to care about the characters. You're going to care about what happens. Uh, and because there's, there's, like, like Jerry McNeely said, I make them laugh a little bit, I make them cry a little bit, I scare the hell out of them. It's all in there. It's one of the best, best graphic novels I've ever written. And when can we expect uh, to be able to enjoy that? Well, uh, we're going to launch either this month or in July. And uh, my artist is Pat Broderick, a well-known and highly respected comic book professional uh, who's drawn everything from Micronauts uh, to uh, The Flash to Firestorm. And this is the greatest work of his career. It's just mind blowing. Uh, Cause you know, most comic book illustrators 
uh, a lot of them fade out when they get into their 50s and 60s. They say, I'm tired of drawing pages. I just want to do covers or pinups. But Pat still has that fire in the belly and he's better than ever. I mean, it's just going to blow your mind when you see the artwork. Yeah, very good. Thank you for uh, giving us that little taste. What advice would you give a smart, driven college student that's about to get out there and enter the real world? And what advice should they ignore? You only get one chance to make a first impression. Uh, there's no better way to getting a job in comics than by producing your own comic and having it be a knockout. So don't quit your day job. Uh, be aware that the competition to break into any of these creative fields, be it painting or writing or comics, is, is ferocious. Uh, for everyone that succeeds, there are a thousand people out there banging their heads against the wall. Well, and it's been really interesting to talk about this, and I you know, certainly appreciate you taking the time today. Where's the best place to find you? And it's not hard to find you, but where's the best place to find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Bloody Red Baron. My website is at bloodyredbaron.com. On Facebook, the comics and novels of Mike Barron. And if you go to Amazon, you type Mike Barron in, 20 pages will come up and you'll see what I've been doing. Yep. Uh, I'm also on Getter, I believe is Mike Barron. Amazing. Congratulations on that. And, and thank you again for letting us be a part of your world and also creating these worlds that we get to experience. It's uh, certainly fun for all of us. Well, thank you, Josh. Yep, thank you. We love feedback and we'd love it if you would pass it on to me directly at josh at keystonefinancial.com. Also, please stay plugged in with us, get updates on episodes, and help us promote the podcast by rating us and also subscribing to us at your favorite podcast service. Have a great week and God bless. This episode has been prepared for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and accounting advisors. Investment advisory services offered through Keystone Financial Services and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.